Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. May this letter echo out in our hearts. There's so much love in this letter. This is, this is not just somebody going around picking fights. This is not someone that is just bigoted, who thinks they're better than other people. This is the half-brother of Jesus, inspired by the Spirit of God. And loved ones, I can guarantee you, no one loves you more than God. And when this comes from God, we have to honestly admit that when we do not contend for the faith, it is not a failure on the Lord's part or his love. It's usually a lack of our own understanding. Sometimes it is a lack of confidence because we're dealing with and maybe failing in, in, in sinful areas of our own lives, and we all have them. And so we don't feel confident to, to step up and, and say what needs to be said. Or we're afraid that we'll say it in the wrong way and the person will think that we don't love them, but that we're just attacking them or we don't, you know, if we don't approve of what they're doing, then somehow we're not accepting them. Oh, this letter is such a strong reminder that Jude writes from love. Perhaps this week there were two headlines, and I know, you know, by the time this sermon was set, the, the events had not unfolded in the tornadoes across all the southern states. Those who went in after the, you know, the aftermath. But there were two stories that broke in the headlines this week. One is an international story. There's a picture that'll come on the screen for all of you animal lovers. I know you're out there. This will be your opportunity for it. This is over in, uh, in Spain, two Spanish police officers. There was a dog trapped in the ice. And so two of these men, they basically, they took all their clothes off to get in the water so that they could rescue this dog, so that they could get out of the water, put warm clothes, not wet clothes, back on and live. And they rescued the dog. And all the animal lovers were like, yes, those guys are amazing. There was another account that happened this week, and it was on the U.S. side of Niagara Falls and Niagara River, and the picture will come up. And I want you to just look at this, at this scene here, right? There's a car that's trapped. It's on the U.S. side. The background across the mist is, is the Canada side. And here they are, and there's all these first responders, and they're standing there. And, and if you didn't, you know, if you didn't understand the force of water and the falls and the danger, you might come on the scene and say, what's wrong with those people? They're first responders. Why don't they get out there and rescue her? Well, why don't, why can't they? They're not strong enough to swim against the falls. They can't. If they go in after her, they are no match for the falls. And so the next picture comes and they wait for a reinforcement, which is the Coast Guard helicopter, which is above the, it's above the falls. It's not subject to that. And so they send down an individual and they go in and they are able to extract this woman from her car 
60-year-old woman, tragically, she did not live. And they're investigating and trying to understand what led to the events of her being in. But as I look at that picture and I, I think about that rescue individual, that Coast Guard member, at every point when he was in getting that woman's body out of that car, his life was in danger. Yes, he was attached to the line to the helicopter. But at any moment, if something shifted, his weight shifted, water flowing through the car altered, at any moment, his life, it was in, it was in danger. Every moment until he breaks free with her, he is putting himself at risk. But here's the reality. He's trusting in his lifeline. He's trusting not in his own strength. Now, he had to use his strength to bring her body out of that car. But his strength was no match for those falls. So he relied on the lifeline to a helicopter with, I have no idea how much strength that thing has. We have some in our church from the Coast Guard who would understand and know about these things. And they pull her body. The last message that we were in, if you're there in your Bible and you look at that last section, it was just read in our hearing that we're to have mercy on others. If we're going to endeavor, if we're going to put our necks out, if we're going to reach out to those who, those last three areas that we looked at in, a, in our sermon, there are some who doubt. And you're going to have to risk to go after them. There are some who disbelieve and there are some who are absolutely just filled up with error. And if you are going to reach to them, if you're going to engage with them, then you have to know I, I'm held, I'm kept, I'm secure. It's not me against, am I in danger? Because there's risk, there's danger. And if we're going to engage, and some of you have with loved ones, and they write you off, and they cuss you out, and they, sh they shut you down, and they say things that are perverse against you because they're hurting, and you have put a finger spiritually on a nerve within them, and everything seems to go up in flames. Why would you do that? Because it's right. Because it's loving because we really believe that eternity is forever and where people will spend is based upon how have they responded to Jesus Christ. I don't know if you saw the daughter of the police officer who was killed in Texas, but her testimony is going viral right now. It's worth, your, it's worth you looking it up later. That a young daughter who should be angry that her father's life was taken in Christ is demonstrating forgiveness. And we would all look at that and say, I don't know how she can do that. But you're not in that situation. She is. And the same spirit of God that, indwe that indwells that young lady, if you're in Christ, indwells you. And he enables us to do what we can't humanly do. Are we thankful for that? I am.
So this morning, as we turn to these final two verses, perhaps the two most known verses of a doxology, such that these verses could be read and probably are around the world in various churches today, almost to the fact that you can hear them and not hear them, that they become so going through the motions that you actually don't take in what what is Jude saying? And this letter, did you feel the heaviness even as it was read in our hearing this morning? That when Jude gets to these two verses, it's a, it's a, it's a scene change. There's a lighting change. There's a perspective change. There's a focus change. It's like the dawn is breaking. It's like there's a fresh breeze coming in after a cruel storm. It's like you just touched on land after coming out of a storm at sea. And he's saying, now to him. Like he's been going through all of this heavy. I wanted to write a common salvation about amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, but I couldn't. Because the grace that message, the gospel of grace, it's in the balance because false teachers are coming in saying, no, it's not just about grace. You need to be baptized. You need to do these things. You need to stay away from these foods. You need to observe, oh, you don't do this, do you? Oh, you don't do that, do you? It's these days, though, not those days. And they're separating and they're causing division. But Jude finally gets to go back where he wanted to go, and he's simply saying, put your eyes on Jesus. The only one who will never let us down. So he bursts forth in doxology. Loved ones, if we're not secure, then why would we run to the battle? Why would those first responders ever think of going into the Niagara River if they're not held and kept? So they didn't because it would have just been the end of their life. But if we are kept, if we are secure, if we are held, then why wouldn't we run to the battle? When greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, then why would we not let our light shine? Think about what Jude is calling us to. He's simply saying, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Just look there. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forever, and all God's people will say with Jude, amen. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm swinging for the fences here this morning. My desire for everyone who's under the sound of this message today is that we get, we get this, that this message captivates our hearts, our minds, our lives. So the proposition is simply this that in Christ we have confidence to offer our lives. Okay, it's another word for sacrifice, lay down, surrender. That in Christ, it'll come on the screen, we have confidence to offer our lives with unfading hope and unending joy. 
unfading hope and unending joy. In a nutshell, what I'm saying is give your life to Jesus. Everything. Give it all to Jesus. Surrender all to Jesus. And when we do, so when this, when this captivates us, when the message of Jude grips us by the Spirit of God, then there's going to be responses, and we're going to look at two this morning that I believe come out of this doxology. Number one, we will praise God for his unstoppable power. We will praise God for his unstoppable power. And this is where Jude is saying, to him, for he is the only one able is our God. Do you know how many songs we could sing to go along with this message? I mean, we could just be here forever, one song after another. And that's what heaven, part of heaven will be is worshiping. He's omnipotent. Here, here we get into one of his attributes. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. I mean, Jesus would not have to stand on the banks of the Niagara River, right? You guys need help? All right. <laughs> right out. There you go. Peter, I'm falling. Lord, I got you. Why? Because he's not limited. We're all limited in our power and ability. I love the song, It Took a Miracle. This week, Gloria Sills went home to be with Jesus. I tried to share the picture in the email to the church family. It didn't go through. I don't know what happened. It's on Facebook in the prayer and chair of Gloria and Pat singing, It Took a Miracle. But that, that song, it starts out, my father is omnipotent. And that you can't deny. You can't deny. A God of might and miracles is written in the sky. It took a miracle to put the stars in place. It took a miracle to hang the world in space. But when he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. Think about that. None of us are good. None of us are worthy. None of us deserve heaven. We all deserve hell, including me. For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and he will not be contaminated with our sins, so he made a way for sinners to be reconciled to God. Weren't you encouraged by the message last week on reconciliation from Irfan? God, we will praise him for his unstoppable power, and what is he able to do? Loved ones, he's able to prevent you from falling, to prevent you from stumbling. This is the negative. He can keep you from. So this is the parent, and they're holding on to the child, and they have their, their hand gripped by the wrist, firmly grabbed, not letting you go. I will keep you from falling. This is the negative, that the Lord is able to keep us from, in this word, keep. Now, in verse 21, we saw this, this word, keep. Keep yourselves in the love of God, Jude wrote. That's obedience, the word there. As in teaching them, Jesus said in Matthew 28, to observe all that I have commanded you. Watch over all that I've commanded you. Have you done that this week? You've kept everything Jesus said to do? I haven't. But I long to, I want to. So my keeping is deficient. It's not that great. His keeping is something different. 
Verse 24, the word for keep is to guard, it's to preserve. It's as in the shepherds out in the field. Now shepherds in the field by night, right? Watching over their flocks. What were they doing? They were doing what the shepherd boy David was doing. And a lion and a bear came and he said, "Uh uh-uh, not today. Bam, whatever he did, he took them out. These are my sheep. I'm watching over them and you're done. What's for dinner? Bear and lion. It's a different guarding. When Herod threw Peter into prison, he commanded the four squadrons, guard him. Acts 12, verse 4. They tried. Okay, but it wasn't, Herod didn't say, try to keep him. He said, guard him. If you don't, you'll die. You'll get his punishment. Remember they went to get him the next morning? Go ahead and bring Peter. He was going to be killed that day. Peter had been sleeping that night before. The angel shows up. Hey, Pete, 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 get up, buddy. Come on, let's go. Huh? What? 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 Come on, get up. Put your clothes on. Come on, Peter. What? Really? You that hot in the night? Come on, put your clothes on. Let's go. And the angel delivers him, walks through gate after gate, out into the street, and Peter's standing out there, you know, scratching. What in the world is going on? And he comes to his senses. It's not a dream. And the next morning, Herod says, go get him, and he's not there. They didn't guard him. They didn't keep him. That was their job. That was what they were supposed to do. It's the same word used in the Greek culture for a sure-footed horse. Listen, I grew up in Montana. I'm not great on horses. My dad scared the fire out of me on horses. I mean, he was like, "Eh, let's go. And he would just go anywhere and just crazy. But a horse is sure-footed. They keep their footing on the hillside when you and I be, woo, down, rolling, slipping, sliding. And the horse is like, I got this. That's the idea here is keeping. The Lord is able to keep us from stumbling, to keep us from falling, to prevent you from falling, from falling down into sin. All Christians struggle with sin. But loved ones, the reality is we're no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to sin. We struggle with sin. But we've been given a new nature. And our new nature despises sin. And listen to me carefully now, especially our own sin. The legalist, the religious person, they despise the sin of everybody else. They blast it everywhere they go. Facebook, they blow up everybody else's flaws and faults and they did wrong and they did me wrong. But a Christian says, I did the Lord wrong. Let's start there. And that tenderizes us when we deal with other people. The Lord is able to keep us so we're no longer preoccupied with the sins and failures of others. We're most concerned with pleasing Christ ourselves. We want to progress in our own personal sanctification. So our prayer is, God, help me, and God, use me. So loved ones, there is no other God. Like, let's not pass over that quickly. Now to him who is able. It's to him. Douglas Moo says it this way. If we claim that God is the only God, then we must be sure that he is the only God for us. 
He will brook no rival. In other words, we must be sure that nothing bad, he includes illicit sex, love of money, desire for promotion or preeminence. You can fill anything in there and sinful and wrong that you struggle with. Nothing bad or good. Families, comfort, ministries, health, happiness, nothing wrong with that unless that becomes God in our lives. Nothing bad or good becomes of higher importance than the only God to him. So loved ones, there is no other God and therefore there's no other thing, there's no other person that can bear up the weight of our souls. Now, the apostle Paul, he wrestled with sin. In Romans chapter 7, do you experience this? Do you, do you, with Paul, experience remorse over your sin? We need to be honest about our sin and about our struggles. And Paul wrote about it. He said, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. The Spirit of God dwelled in him, so he's in the well, He's good. But me, nothing good in me. For I have a desire to do what, I, what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. That's the first responders. They wanted to get out there right away. They didn't have the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You feel like him? What am I doing? I don't want to do this. Here I am again. I said I was going to... I was having this conversation this morning about being, you know, physically working out and being in shape. New Year's coming. I'll set that resolution again. Buy one of them things they sell, you know, right about now, after you eat too much. Anyway, back to the text. Verse 20, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. You feel this? You feel this battle that goes on inside of us? Here's Paul, the apostle, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh. I serve the law of sin, and then I have to include 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the key to everything we're talking about this morning. To be in Christ, then we have an unfading hope and an unending joy. Because my condemnation was all placed on Jesus, and he suffered and he died, was buried and rose again, so that I could be declared righteous justified. So the Lord is able to keep his own from falling down into sin. And loved ones, the Lord is able to keep us, to prevent us from falling away into apostasy. This is what the letter of Jude has been about. And listen, right now, it's a key buzzword going on of deconstructionism. People who grew up in the church, they grew up in the faith, and now it's like a badge of honor that they've deconstructed. Think about this. I have fallen apart, and that's my badge? What does that mean? The code for that, like if you're going to understand when somebody is, is, you know, putting out there, I've deconstructed. 
I have deconverted. It means they have stopped believing the word of God. That's where it begins. That's Genesis 3. The serpent comes in, and what does he say? Has God said? Doubt his word, and everything falls apart from there. Everything. He holds everything together by his word. So how can we unravel his word, disbelieve his word, and anything be remaining? His word is holding even the atheists together this morning. And every mixture needed for environment to be able to breathe and heat the distance we are from the sun. It's all held together by his word. So what happens when we stop believing his word? Everything falls apart. You don't believe me? Watch the news. I rest my case. Loved ones, when I take God at his word and I believe he can keep me from falling away into apostasy, then I can trust his hand. I can rest and progress in hope knowing that God, like a father, is holding my hand. My keeping does not depend on my failing strength, but upon his unfailing, omnipotent hand. My father is omnipotent. And you can try to deny it. You just can't prove your case anywhere. So we will turn from every way of error. We will turn from idols. I can trust his heart. The father disciplines his children. It's for our good and for his glory. And so Hebrews 12 says this, and I would love to read the whole section, but I'm limited this morning. Hebrews 12, verse 5, and if you've forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, my son, do not regard lightly the discipleship of the Lord, the discipline, nor be weary when you're reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines, he disciples the one he loves. But the Christian says, but I don't need to be walking with others in discipleship. Why would you not want to be in discipleship? This is a sign of sonship. I want to be growing and I want to grow in Christ. It's discipline. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. He is not a lazy. He's not an absent father. He's not too busy with his career that he doesn't have time for his family. He loves his family and he's faithful and on time and he's tender and he's righteous. And there's no father here, including me, that can say, oh, that's me. No, that's the father I want to be like. And he's doing that in me. It's a work in progress, okay? He's able to prevent you from falling. And loved ones, he is able to prevent every child of God present you blameless. This is the positive, to present you blameless, to keep you Four. Now, the word blameless is connected to the animals that were, you know, the shepherds out in the hillside when the angels came. Fear not, do not be afraid. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ. Do you know what they were raising those animals for? The temple. Sacrifice. And they knew these, these lambs, these, this flock has to be blameless or it cannot be presented at the altar. So this is this word, it's connected with, he will present you blameless, without spot, that the bride of Christ will be presented spotless and without blemish to Christ 
And this is how we're to live for God's glory here in this present evil age. Ephesians 1.4, Paul writes, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Ephesians 5.27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Philippians 2, 15, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to what, what keeps us anchored. It's the word of life. What keeps us from falling away into sin and, and apostasy? It's the word of life. What will keep us and persevere us to the end? It's not our own strength. It's the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You hear a father there? Labored for these loved ones in the faith. The hymn, the solid rock, when he shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found. That goes right back to our proposition today, to be in Christ gives you an unfading hope and an unending joy found in him, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Well, I just feel that, sinking sand. Well, I believe that. Show me in the Bible. Oh, it's not there. Sinking sand. Well, I'm real busy right now, and I'll come back to it. Sinking sand, you're not guaranteed to ever have an opportunity to come back to it. But the Father is seeking worshipers, Jesus said to the woman at the well. How do you know that? God is sitting next to you asking you for a drink. Uh, I'll be right back. Come see a man. He told me everything I ever, he's just, he knows everything. He's omniscient. He's out there. Remember what the people said? Well, we believed when she told us, but now that we've heard you for our own selves, now we believe. We can't help but believe. We will see his glory, loved one. We will see his glory. This is the word doxa. The glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. We will see him in his glory one day soon. Our glory fades. What do you mean by that? Just, just look in the mirror, all right? Our glory fades. And that's okay. Our bodies preach to us, there's, this isn't all there is. And what do we try to do? I want to keep it as long as I can. <laughs> yeah, but it's preaching to you. The changing of skin, the changing and departure of hair, an appearance of hair in other places that you don't need hair, you know? Barbara didn't used to spend so much time like trimming in my ears like he does now. Like, like, man, I'm getting old. We will see his glory, and his glory never fades. First Chronicles 29, 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in, he in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above most everything. Is that what it says? Uh, no, no. 
above all. Psalm 63, the psalmist says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. And there was a veil separating most men, except the high priest once a year, from the Shekinah glory. You can't go wandering in there. And the high priest couldn't just go blundering in there. He needed to go in blameless, spotless, without sin, confessed. 1 Corinthians 15, 43. Are you thankful for this? That Paul is talking about the human body and he says, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised for the believer in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. So listen, yes, we will say goodbye to our sister in Christ, Gloria, this week. But her body is sown in dishonor and it is raised in glory. It's sown weak and failing and it is raised indestructible. This is the resurrection, the physical resurrection. So in Ephesians 3, 16, Paul says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So you don't feel that glorious today, child of God? This is where power comes from. His glory in you by his spirit, strengthening you to not fall away into sin, to not fall away into apostasy. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God where in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now just pause right there. Is that happening? Are you seeing that happen in your lives? How does this happen? It's by what we have spent time studying in this letter. It's by drawing near to the Lord. It's by abiding in him. It's through prayer. It's through the reading and memorizing and meditating on his word. It's choosing what you take in and what you leave out. Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction, I know some of you are going through great affliction. I know some of our loved ones in down south are going through unbelievable affliction right now. Paul is not diminishing that. He went through unbelievable affliction. But when he looks at it through the lens of grace, the gospel and eternity, he says the truthful statement about whatever it is that we go through, whatever sickness, including cancer, death, anything. It's still regarded by the child of God as a light, momentary affliction. And then listen to what he does. He, look at it. He flips it around. The very thing that we're praying on our prayer list, what we, we want to be healed and healthy and away from and all good. And Paul says, you don't understand the trials that we're going through, even our own sin, God can take and use in us to make us hate sin more. He says that these afflictions are actually our servants. Think about that. That they're serving by tearing our hands away from what is passing anyway. That by faith we are, are looking to that which is eternal. And that's a good thing. That's a blessing. And when everything is going well and fine and we feel great and the, and the check balance is good and you know everything's good we too easily forget the reality I need God. I can't finish this message without God. I can't put together a sentence without God. 
I can't utter a word without God. What can I do to keep my, what I have of a brain functioning? Take some supplements, sure, fine. But I can't guarantee that I will be here next week and able to put it all together. God's will, I'll be here. If God's will is something different, so be it, right? This, this is it. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of, and here's this word, glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So listen to what Jesus said. Mark, or Matthew 24, 30, it's also in Mark and Luke. Then will appear this in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great, what's the word? Glory. Glory. We can't go out. I don't recommend this. All right? don't, don't go out and try to look at the sun. You can't. Your eyes can't handle it. The sun was made by God. He spoke and, and created. But we can't look at the sun, but somehow people think they're going to stand before the Lord and have a debate. Not going to happen, loved ones. Not going to happen. Revelation 19.1 after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out. Read it with me. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Our God is greater. Our God is higher. Right? It's our God. There, it's not just the God. It's not a God. When we're bought by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, he is our God. He is my God. Think about how this all comes together. So loved ones, we will share then in his great joy. We're going to see his glory. And we're going to share in his great joy. And it's not going to be like, hey, welcome. Sit over there and watch. You ever been to an event like that? Just be glad you're in the room and you can watch. Oh, I can't get in on the game? Nope. It's not for you. That's for those other kids over there. What? Sit on the bench. Now, I've heard that before. Just, just stay on the bench. We'll call you when we need you. We will share in his great joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. His presence is... In his presence is fullness of joy that never ends. So listen to what the scriptures say, Psalm 1611. I love this psalm. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is a little bit of joy. Is that what it says? No, this is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Name something for me in this lifetime that's never ending joy. God has given us a lot of blessings that are, they fill us with joy. Joy to the world, right? Charisma, celebration, eating together. But what is perpetually never-ending joy in this lifetime? You can't name anything. All of the good things, you eat a meal, and then you're not feeling so joyful afterward, but then you're hungry a little while later. All of God's creation, we've talked about it today, sex is his creation. But it's not a never-ending joy. 
sleep. I love it. All of the things that God has given to us, but it's not a never-ending joy. And often we abuse these good gifts and we forget the giver. But in his presence, fullness of joy, pleasures that never end. This is what God is offering and he had to pay the price, pick up the tab for us to be able to enter into this and enjoy this through the blood of Christ. So Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's the key, loved ones, looking to Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, you see that? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy. He went to the cross, not like you and I sometimes go to work or go engage in some difficult task. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What is his joy? To share eternity with you in the presence of the Father. Isn't this incredible what has been done? This is what is all, we're gonna share in his great joy. So loved ones, we can praise God for his unstoppable power and we should and we will. And let us also, our second response in verse 25, let us worship God for his unparalleled person. It's who he is. It's not just what he does. It's who he is to him, because if we're going to risk it all, then we must believe and rest confidently in the truth that God alone is Savior. This is who he is. This is what he delights in doing because it's his nature. It's his character. He alone is Savior. He's the only God, and he's unrivaled. Does this truth, loved ones, correspond with the norm of our daily lives? Our career cannot save us. Whatever fortune we have cannot save us. Entertainment cannot save us. Politics cannot save us. Our family members cannot save us. Our health, well, that can't save us and it will not be sustained. Beauty, that won't last. It cannot save. God alone is Savior. He is the only Savior. Look at verse, what it says, 25. To the only God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the only Savior. This is the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Yahweh is the only saving God. 2 Samuel 22, 3. This is David's song of deliverance, and he, and he cries out to the Lord, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence, Psalm 106, 21, they forgot God there, and talking about Israel, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, and they forgot their Savior. Hello, I rescued you. Remember, you were captive in Egypt, had no power, nobody wanted you, and I sent Moses back to get you. I rescued you. Remember what I did in Egypt? Remember the Red Sea? Hello. And you're chasing after all of the other defeated gods. That is, in a nutshell, the message of the Old Testament. But I'm still coming to make a way. Coming in Christ, the seed of a woman. Isaiah 45, 15. 
actually, Isaiah 43 and verse 3, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. 45, 15, truly, you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. Isaiah 45, 21, declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior, there is none besides me. Hosea 13, 4, for, but I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me, there is... How many saviors available? None. So then there are those who in false systems of religion say, do you see that there's only one God and Jesus claiming to be God? That is wrong, they say that there's only one Jehovah, there's only one Savior. So it's not Jesus, that would be blasphemous. Okay, well, let's get to the New Testament real quick. Luke 1.47, after Mary is promised the Christ child, Messiah is conceived in her womb, and Mary, not sinless, loved ones, Mary needed rescue just like David did, just like Abraham did, by faith. And what does Mary cry out? In her song, Mary, uh, Luke 1, 47, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He's sending a Savior. All of the women that waited down through Israel's history to be the one. From our first mother, Eve, you will bear a child. Here comes Cain. Well, that didn't go well. All the way down, wait, would I be the one? Am I the one? And it's Mary. And she rejoices in God, our Savior. He saves only through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ who said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way. So he is a saving God. He's the only saving God, and he only saves through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Acts 5, 31, the apostles are preaching, and God exalted him, they said, at his right hand as a leader and savior, speaking of Jesus, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Acts 13, 23, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel, Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. The apostles weren't confused on who Jesus is. They recognized Jesus to conquer death. He is life. He is God, the second person of the triune God. So loved ones, this just leads us right into what are we here for? We're here. We exist. Our purpose statement is going to come up. We exist to what's number one out of the gate? Glorify God. It's to make much of God. And if we're going to glorify God, then what is that going to lead us to? We're going to reach people for Jesus Christ. We want to see them connected with other believers. We want to equip them through the preaching and teaching and walking together in small groups, in discipleship. We want to equip them to grow in their faith. And where is that going to end up? Not in sitting. Not in a spectator mode, watching other people serve. If you've been redeemed, then you want to serve. You want to, here I am. That's our song that we sang this morning. Here's my life. Why wouldn't we give it to this God? It's the only way we keep it. And that puts us to the discipleship pathway. We come back to these every now and then to say, so, so where are you on this pathway? Have you come to know Christ? Have you confessed him as Lord? Have you been reached? Are you connected? Are you walking? Are you being equipped? Are you serving? 
That's why we're here to help you make progress on that discipleship pathway. Oh, loved ones, God alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. God alone is Savior, and God alone is worthy. To Him belongs. What does that mean? Now, now, when we say this, when we are praying in this way, we're not praying this to God, okay? We're not saying we give to you these things. We, we're not saying it that as a prayer, we give to you glory, we give to you majesty, we give to you dominion, we give to you authority. No, I don't have any of that to give to him. What Jude is saying to him belongs. It's his. It's all his. He owns it all. He's got a corner on the market. To him belongs his eternal attributes, glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. They're his, and he shares them with his children. And he delights in doing this. He's not Scrooge. He's not stingy. Oh, there's wise again praying. Oh, praying about the economy and buildings and budgets and, ah, uh, that's not the Lord. It's like, seek me. Seek me first. I'll supply all your need. And the Lord is the one to declare, is like, no, nah, that's a want, but this you need. I'll give that. I know what you're saying, but no, you don't need that. You need this. The Lord knows. Glory and outward expression of an inward beauty and moral excellence. That's the Lord's. Majesty, it's a transcendent awesomeness. Dominion, it's sovereign rule over all, over everyone and everything. It's all his. And authority, that's supremacy over all creation. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 28, giving the great commission, all authority is mine. It's all mine. And I'm putting you on mission. Go make disciples, baptize them and teach them and go everywhere. All peoples. Oh, we can't do that by ourselves. Exactly. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. God alone is worthy. And God alone is immutable. This is true, and this will always be true, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And loved ones, God delights in saving sinners. So God alone is worthy because to him belong glory before all time, now, and forevermore. To him belong majesty before all time, now, and forevermore. To him belong dominion before all time, now, and forevermore. And to him belong author belongs authority before all time, now, and forevermore. So he, this isn't up for a vote. Jude isn't putting this out there. He's just simply getting on the cymbals and the loudest, largest drum he can drum, and he's sounding forth the praises of our God. He's worthy. He's worthy, and we worship him, and we praise him. He delights in showing mercy. So loved ones, in Christ alone, we have confidence to offer our lives with unfading hope and unending joy. So we will, by the grace of God, praise God for his unstoppable power, and we will worship him for his unparalleled person. Do you, do you know how many times in, in you're listening to people's testimonies and they once believed and then they say, but then I prayed and something didn't happen and God didn't answer my prayers, and so I stopped believing. It's a misunderstanding of the person of God. 
It's a misunderstanding of who God is and what he's doing and why he allows trials and why he allows, and it doesn't mean that we have all the answers. We don't. But we have God. So that's, that's what I'm left with. Do I want all the answers or do I want God? Because ultimately I'll have the answers that I need because I have God. I have Christ. Do you have Christ? The questions that we come down to, and there will be more uh, that we'll deal with. These, these are available here afterwards. They're online. But we're dealing about um, this week in, in our small groups about our, our assurance of salvation. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be focusing on how can we be assured of our salvation. This question is for, for you. Ask this question. Have I personally believed in the gospel and confessed Jesus Christ as my Lord? I asked that question this morning. I don't know who all is here. I don't know how long you've been, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, but I'm asking you the question again, and I believe Jude would ask the same question. Have you personally believed in the gospel and confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, he delights in saving sinners, and he will delight in saving you. You just have to hear Jesus' words, and he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You've been searching, you've been looking, you can't find it anywhere. It all keeps to be fading and falling apart. You're, you're looking in the wrong place. You need to look to Christ. And then the follow-up is this. Having been Christians, having been given unfading hope and unending joy, what's my next step of surrender? Since I have been given that, then what do I need to lay before the Lord? What's my next step of surrender? Can we help you take that step today? Will you stand? We're going to close with this prayer. I'm going to read this prayer again, and then we're going to put this again to song, and we're going to sing this together. Will you allow this time, this Christmas season, that God might use you to reach out? Invite someone to come with you at Christmas Eve. Invite someone to come with you next Sunday. People are often there. They're ready. They're waiting. They just need an invitation. Well, I'm waiting until I get enough strength up. Listen, does God live in you? You got it. Trust him. Give the invitation. Reach out to someone. Let them know that we care because God cares, because God loves. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. It is true and it is trustworthy and it is timeless. And I pray, Lord, that if anyone is here today and they have not yet trusted you, that today they will cry out to you something along the lines of, Lord, I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. But I have heard of Jesus, the sinless lamb of God who came to earth, born of a virgin, to live the life that I cannot live and die the death I deserve to die. So I trust in him, the one who was buried and rose again. And I give to you my heart and my life. And in doing so, Lord, you will take up residence in them and you will give them life that never ends. And then this promise is true. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. 
Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.